again
just a minute, but before we do, uh, I want to share just a testimony, a quick testimony with you. As many of you know, uh, we have a uh, mission team that has been sent out and has been serving this past week in uh, Germany uh, with our partners that are there, Ben and Sarah Carey, and uh, helping to run an English camp uh, to share the gospel with uh, teens and young people there in a country where uh, very, very few people know the Lord and very few people have uh, churches that they can go to and attend to learn about God. And uh, I've been watching, I don't know if you have on social media all week, but uh, Julie Kerpus, who's a part of our uh, worship team up here, has been sharing updates uh, from the team. And one of the things that they had been asking for prayer for is that they had all of these activities that were planned uh, for outside and uh, doing different games and activities with the kids. But the weather forecast for the entire week called for nothing but rain. And so it was quite a bit of a discouragement. So they began asking from the very beginning of the week, hey, uh, would you just pray that God would kind of shift the weather and things would clear up? And, you know, it was kind of fun each day as the day went along, she would talk about how there was just a specific point in every single day where it was coming time for us to do these outdoor activities and the weather would kind of clear up and we'd go outside and we were able to do the activities that we had planned. God is answering prayer. Even to the point that on one of her last posts, I believe it was on Thursday or Friday, she wrote that they had also been having the students at this camp. They had been praying with them that God would clear out the weather. And one of the students, doesn't know the Lord, looked up and remarked and goes, look, we've been praying and all of the rain clouds are almost circling us all around our camp, but the sky right above us is completely clear. And acknowledged, hey, we prayed and God responded. How awesome is that? That our team would be able to go and that God would even use circumstances like this to reveal himself to people that they would know that he is real, that he is there, that he hears, and that he answers prayer. And I'm excited for the team to be able to come back and to share more testimonies as they come. But I share that with you this morning because as we go to our time of taking offering together, I want you to know that when you give to Westgate Chapel, when you bring your tithes and your offerings, it goes to work like this to support missions work that is overseas, to support our missionaries in taking the good news of the gospel even to the least reached parts of this world. And as we come and we give our tithes and our offerings, we should always come with a humble heart, acknowledging to God, God, everything I have comes from you. And our prayer being, God, would you take what I offer back to you and multiply it so that more people 
would know your son, Jesus Christ. And that's our prayer this morning as we come and we continue to worship the Lord and taking our tithes and our offerings. So would you pray with me as we uh, prepare to take our offering today? Father, we thank you for your incredible faithfulness. You have proven it to us over and over again, how involved you are in our lives, consistently being present, answering prayer, even clearing the sky, the, the clouds from the sky to show people that you hear, that you are real, and that you respond. God, I pray that this morning as we come to this time of offering, that we would come with hearts of gratitude. As we come and we give back what you have given to us, we do so, Lord, thankful for how you have provided for us, thankful for the work that you are doing, and praying and asking God that you would take these offerings and multiply them so that more people would know your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we give it to you today as an act of worship. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you're on the center aisles, you can grab those buckets for offering this morning and pass those through as we give thanks to the Lord for all that he is doing. to the message this morning. If you have got your Bibles with you, turn with me to Mark chapter 14. And again, hopefully you were able to grab uh, some sermon notes that you can use to follow along uh, this morning. Uh, but as you know, if, if, and if you don't, because you haven't been with us, maybe you're a guest here today, we have been going through a series together over the past many months in the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. And when we began, we kind of split it into two different series. Uh, the first one uh, being a series entitled, Who Do You Say I Am? Uh, the reason we chose this theme is because what we see in the book of Mark is that Mark, in the very first half, is really passionate about convincing us of the person of Jesus Christ. He wants us to understand and know who Jesus Christ is. And so uh, he, he goes to great lengths to help us to understand that he is the Messiah that has been sent from God to save his people from their sin. And in the second half, the series that we're currently sitting in entitled Jesus Servant King, what we see is that Mark is now digging even deeper to give us a deeper understanding of the servanthood of Jesus and how he would give his life for his people. And so uh, it's been an exciting series to go through. And uh, just a quick uh, PSA, if you will, a quick announcement. You'll see in your sermon notes this morning a little card that says, Ask the Preaching Team. Here at Westgate, you may not know this, we have what we call a preaching team, not just uh, a few of us pastors who preach, but a few other staff members who gather together and we work on all of the preaching series that we do, collecting ideas and giving input. And we're going to have a Sunday, like we have done in the past, uh, that is going to happen on the first Sunday of September uh, called Ask the Preaching Team. And if you have any questions about what we have studied in the book of Mark or 
about what you've been reading as you've been going along with us, we would love to take time in that service to answer those questions for you. And so you can use this card to write those questions down, and at the close of the service, you can drop it in the buckets as you leave, uh, or you can scan the QR code that is there and, uh, and submit those electronically. But over the next few weeks, we'll be collecting those, so I just encourage you to continue to dig into the Scripture. Let us know what questions you have, and we would love to take some time going through those as we wrap up this series together. Now, let me ask this question. How many people here love feel-good stories? Anybody here like a feel-good story kind of person? Okay. I love a good feel-good story, right? Uh, This past week, uh, I actually was kind of going through social media and scrolling through, and I saw this story come up that, man, just, man, made me feel really good. And I think sometimes because we don't see a lot of this stuff in our culture today. But it was a, a YouTube video about this guy that plays football for Eastern Michigan University. Some of you may have seen this. Uh, He plays for Eastern Michigan. He was a walk-on, didn't have any scholarship money, uh, and he had been having to pay for school his entire time through, but was having trouble paying for his final year uh, at the school and also playing football. And uh, even to the point that he was selling his own plasma to try to raise money so that he could finish out at school. Well, I want you to see this incredible story and this coach talking about what one person on the team did for this gentleman. Watch this video with me. Zach Conti has had to pay his way to school for four years. And in the fall, the guy was selling his plasma to be able to pay the bills. We're at 85 scholarships. We have 85 given out. And no matter how many times or how many years I go to the NCAA and say, yeah, but man, I'm just telling you, we need 86. We need 86. Is there any way, you know, that we can have an exception for this deal? The answer is no. You have 85. Until Brian Dooley comes into my office and he said, coach, that guy has earned it. And I've talked this this over with my family and and the whole bit. And if there's a way to make this happen, I am willing to give up my scholarship and to give it to Zach Hunt. I've never heard, I've never seen anything like that ever before. Where are you, Dooley? inspiring story, isn't it? To see that this young man would go, hey, I've had this scholarship for four years, and then because one of his teammates wasn't going to be able to, to pay for school, to literally give up his own scholarship for him. You know, the reason we love these types of feel-good stories, honestly, I believe, is because we all love stories that show incredible acts of grace. And maybe it's because in our world today, it seems that those stories at times are very lacking. 
We don't often see that type of grace that is shown within our world today, where someone receives something that is completely unexpected or undeserved. Well, this morning as we dive into our text together, what we are going to witness is the beginning of one of the most beautiful and incredible acts of grace that has ever been extended by someone in the history of the world and for of all time. As we continue in the book of Mark together, we are going to witness Jesus as he begins to make his journey to the cross and have a very significant moment with his disciples where he will begin to reveal the very depth of his grace for them, but also for each one of us as he gives a gift that is completely unexpected, but also very undeserved. If you have your Bibles with me, turn with me to Mark chapter 14. And we're going to begin uh, today in this chapter taking a look at verse 12 together. And as you're turning there, what you're going to see is the text that we're going to begin to read is going to be Jesus uh, having an interaction with his disciples as they prepare to celebrate the Passover together. If you have it, uh, or if you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along with me here on the screen. But beginning in verse 12, what it tells us is this, is that on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the, the Passover lamb, his disciples, Jesus' disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? Now, as we look at this, I want to give us some context to understand what's taking place. It begins with on the first day of unleavened bread. Letter A in your notes, if you're following along. The festival of unleavened bread was instituted by God for his people as a memorial to their deliverance from Egypt. In other words, it was a time for them to remember how God had delivered them from Egypt. If, you're, if you don't know your Bible history or you need a refresher, remember that in the Old Testament, Israel had been enslaved for over 400 years by the Egyptians. And God called Moses to deliver his people out from under the oppressive hand of Pharaoh and of Egypt. And it was during this deliverance that God did some pretty wild and incredible things. Usually the stories that we remember from the Old Testament come from this time period, some of the most wild miracles that you could possibly think of. Well, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was meant to be a constant reminder of this event where God would deliver his people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now, in our own day and age today, we tend to try to remember things in many different ways. Like, you know, if there's a special event or something that happens, we might remember it by keeping a special trinket for ourselves as a token or a memory of something important that happened in our life. Maybe if you had a sporting achievement, you have a trophy that you were given and you keep that as a memento, something to remember that moment. Uh, I can remember when uh, I was uh, just out of college in my first job in ministry. Uh, we were, uh, I had to go to a conference that was uh, over in Chicago, and a group of friends that had traveled with me from California, we had never been kind of on this side of the world, really, and so uh, we had never been that close to Notre Dame, and I know there's none of you guys love Notre Dame in this room, maybe, there might be one or two of you, but 
we wanted to go and see Notre Dame and specifically see the field. So we took the trip from Chicago over to, to, to the stadium. And it was, anybody here ever seen the movie Rudy before? Like, that like was like my heart for going to Notre Dame, right? I saw that movie, loved it. And just like Rudy, we went as a group of guys up to the gates of the field. And there was a groundskeeper there. And we asked through the gate, we're like, hey, could you let us in? We really want to see the field. We came all the way from California. And he, just like in the movie, looked at us and goes, sorry, guys, can't help you. The last tour for the day is over. You'll have to come back tomorrow. And we're like, oh, but we're leaving. And he says, sorry, I can't help you. So we turned around all dejected, took about 10 steps, and we hear this voice say, come here, guys. He unlocked the field, took us down through the main tunnel out into the middle of the field, and, and he said, you have 10 minutes. Have fun. And you, you, you would have laughed seeing me and another couple of grown men running around on this field with air footballs, acting like we were making touchdowns and doing incredible things. Like, it was one of the coolest experiences ever. And then, right before we, uh, he kicked us out, uh, the ground had just been freshly clipped, all the grass. And so there were, like, grass clippings. So out of my backpack, we pulled a bunch of little plastic baggies and started filling them with grass. Like our little mementos we were going to take back to remember. Of course, within a day, they had dried out and died. But, you know, it was really interesting trying to get those baggies of grass on an airplane. That's a story for another day. But aside from that, these were the mementos that we took back to remember, right? Sometimes when we try to remember things, we, we use little trinkets or things. Other ways that we do that and that even relate to what we're going to talk about here in the passage is when we celebrate things like birthdays or anniversaries or holidays where we have special days or seasons that are set aside for remembering something important and special that we celebrate. Well, this is what we see here. And we find in Exodus chapter 12, verse 14, that God commands the Israelites to never forget this day, to never forget their deliverance from Egypt. And he says in verse 14, this day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Now, for the Israelites, feasts were incredibly important. They were uh, moments of remembering things that God had done. It wasn't, though, just about remembering the cool things that took place, like, you know, with, with God's deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt. No doubt you could remember how he parted the Red Sea, all of the plagues that took place. Like, there are some pretty wild things that happened. But it wasn't just about remembering the event itself or miraculous things that happened. The things that were meant to be remembered were much more significant. You see, letter B, the Hebrew word for memorial comes from the root word zakar. And in your notes, write this down. Zakar means to remember, and it always involved action. In other words, it wasn't just remembering an event or having a memory of something special that happened, but it involved remembering an event to the point that it caused an action to take place in your heart or in your life. Within your memories of this important event, in other words, there are lessons to be learned that would be essential not only for you or for your family, but as God said in Exodus chapter 12, for the generations that are to come. Now, in our own culture and world today, we have days like this, like uh, the holiday that all of us celebrate, Memorial Day. Memorial Day was started back in the 1800s as a day to remember soldiers who had given their life in the Civil War. 
but it was uh, many years later in 1970s that our uh, government actually turned it into a national holiday that would be celebrated uh, by everyone. And the purpose and the significance of this day was to be reminded of all of the men and women who had given their lives throughout the centuries for America uh, in order for us to gain our freedom. It was a time of remembrance for those who had sacrificed their lives so that we could experience freedom. And maybe its greatest lesson that it was meant to teach us was a reminder that our freedom is not free as a nation that it required many people to give their life as a sacrifice so that we could experience the freedom that we have today. And in order to keep our freedom, it will continue to require incredible sacrifice from men and women who follow what had been modeled for them throughout the generations. But one of the things I've seen in our culture today is that one of the biggest complaints about Memorial Day is that it is very quickly losing its purpose its significance, and its meaning in our country. For many Americans, Memorial Day signifies the start of the summer season. It, it means there is a much-needed long weekend filled with activities where you're not working. You get to do different sporting events, maybe go off to the lake with your family or friends, have a picnic, have a nice barbecue. And we easily at times see it as a time for relaxation and leisure rather than for a solemn occasion that it was intended for where we were meant to reflect and pay tribute to the American servicemen and women who gave their lives for our freedom. I share this example because it helps us to understand why the Hebrew word for memorial was not just about remembering an event, but it always involved action. What is not carefully remembered by a community is very naturally and very easily forgotten especially as the original generation to experience certain events die off. You see, the importance of this memorial that we see in Scripture here of the Passover or the Feast of Unleavened Bread was that it was for the generations that were to come. And you got to ask yourself the question, why did God want the generations to come to, to remember the Exodus so carefully? The reason is because it was his supreme demonstration of his covenant with his people. And he wanted them to trust them as their God who delivers them. So that as they remembered his faithfulness to them, that they themselves would remain faithful to him. A remembrance that leads to action. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread was for this purpose to remember this season, but it was also coupled with the Passover as we read that Jesus' disciples were coming on the week where they would have the, the Festival of Unleavened Bread, but they were preparing to celebrate the Passover. And let her see in your notes, the Passover preceded the Festival of Unleavened Bread, and it was specifically celebrated as a memorial to the 10th plague that led to Israel's escape from Egypt. You see, the Passover really started and began the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They were together. And it was meant to be a reminder of the 10th plague. You'll remember that when God used Moses to deliver the Israelites, that he was trying to convince Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. But he kept refusing and so what does God do through Moses? He goes and does incredible signs and wonders and brings these incredible plagues, not only on Pharaoh, but on the entire land of Egypt in order to convince him to let them go. 
Things like sending plagues of boils, plagues of darkness, plagues of hail, plagues of frogs, locusts. I mean, like, you think of these things. These are some pretty heinous things that would happen to all of the people. But as we read that passage, it tells us that Pharaoh just hardened his heart. Rather than going like, man, all this bad stuff is happening and like there's this God that is showing how powerful he is, even over our own gods, his heart was hardened and he wouldn't relent and he continued to cause the Israelites to suffer until the 10th plague. And this Passover meal that they were going to have, that Jesus was going to have with his disciples was meant to remember this moment, the 10th plague that led to their escape from Egypt. The 10th plague was the passing over of the death angel who would go one evening and pass over the entire land of Egypt. And God said that as my death angel passes over, the firstborn in every single household is going to die. Not only people, but also livestock. Now, in your mind, you might think to yourself, well, this just means all the firstborn little children. But no, the firstborn of every household also means the person who was born first within their family. Children, adults, the whole nine yards. So much to the point that what we read is that in the land of Israel, there was not a single household that wasn't touched by what would happen. But as we continue to read, we find that what God did is that he told Moses to tell the Israelites, there is a way that you can be saved from this plague that is going to come on the land, that is going to lead to your deliverance. And the way that you do this is by slaughtering a lamb and taking it and putting its blood around the doorposts of your home. I want you to read this passage with me. And the reason I want to dive into this is it gives us context to understanding the Passover celebration that Jesus and his disciples are going to celebrate together. But also, in the midst of that celebration, Jesus is going to institute the Lord's Supper. And it will give us a greater understanding of the deeper meaning behind it. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 21, it'll be up here on the screen as well. It tells us this. After God tells all these things to Moses, it says, Moses called all of the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel or the beam that is above the door and the doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. But when he sees the blood on the lintel and the doorposts, the Lord will pass over that door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come into the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by the service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and they worshiped. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And at midnight, The Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. 
And there was a great cry throughout the land of Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel. Go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone and bless me also. Pharaoh at this moment was done. The hardened heart had been cracked. God had finally delivered this death blow to the nation that struck right to Pharaoh. To bring him to a place enough, I believe, of fear that he would finally relent and allow God's people to leave from under his hand of oppression. And what you need to understand is that the Passover meal that Jesus and his disciples are going to celebrate together that kicked off the Feast of Unleavened Bread was meant specifically to be a reminder not only of God's judgment on his enemies, but of his salvation of his people. And so as we continue to read in the book of Mark, it tells us as we read at the very beginning that they were going to go and have this feast. And in verses 13 through 15, it tells us that Jesus sends two of his disciples into the city looking for a man that was carrying a, a jar of water, which would, it would have been intriguing. Men were not the ones carrying jugs of water. That was a woman's or a servant's role. But he sends them in to find this person. Uh, whether or not this was a miraculous event or Jesus had set it up ahead of time really does not matter. What matters is that as we read it, it says, you will find this man and he will have a large guest room that we will be able to use to celebrate and eat the Passover together. And so what happens? The disciples go, they find this man, they find that he has a large upper room just as Jesus has said, and the disciples go and it says that they prepare the Passover meal. Now, as we approach looking at this Passover meal together, I want you to understand the significance of the elements of the Passover meal, why Jesus and the disciples celebrated it. They had developed this meal and this feast of the Passover to be a reminder to them that would lead to action in their lives of all that God had done. But it's important for us because when we begin to understand the Passover celebration, we begin to have an even deeper understanding and appreciation for the Lord's Supper that he is going to institute in just a few moments. So if we continue in our Bibles together, in verse 16 of chapter 14, it says this, that the disciples set out, they went to the city, and they found it just as Jesus had told them, and they prepared the Passover meal. Now, letter A in your notes when you think about the Passover meal, when you, it is a, a meal, oftentimes we talk about it in modern terms as a Seder, a meal that has many different pieces to it, and each individual piece of what you eat or experience has significant meaning in the remembering process. And we see, uh, though there have been different things added over the years, we see some very significant things in the book of Exodus that God had instructed for the Israelites to do during this feast. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 8, it says this. It says that they shall take some of the blood of the lamb that would be spread on the doorposts, right? Take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts, the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. And they shall eat the flesh that night roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. 
This is how the first Passover was meant to be eaten before the Israelites would then leave Egypt after Pharaoh relented. And this became the part of the festival that has been celebrated throughout the generations to today. Three of the things that are listed here I want to highlight for you and a couple of other things. The first thing that you see in your notes is it lists bitter herbs. Now, I've put a picture up of some herbs, uh, commonly, I believe, known as cilantro. Anybody here love cilantro? Anybody? You guys are crazy. Like, oh, what is wrong with you? I am one of those people, cilantro tastes like soap to me, okay? I put it in my mouth. I think it is one of the most bitter, disgusting things that you could ever possibly eat. I feel this bitter herb thing to its depth, right? But they were supposed to eat bitter herbs. Today, in most satyrs, when they're eating these as a part of their remembrance, a lot of times they'll use horseradish. Uh, back in, in uh, the time of Jesus, they would either eat wild lettuce or like dandelions from the field. Like, just get a picture of the bitterness of this. And here's the point. The bitter herbs were meant to resemble and remind them of the bitterness of their tears in slavery. It was meant to remind them of the bitterness of their slavery. Think about bitterness in our own lives that we experience. Bitterness involves anger. It involves resentment. Oftentimes because of a wound or a pain that has been brought into our lives. You see, as the Israelites would gather around to celebrate the Passover, the bitter herbs for them was meant to remind them of the sorrow and the trouble and the suffering of the Hebrews as they were under the hand of slavery in Egypt. It was meant to remind them of their cruel enslavers who worked them with incredibly harsh labor where there was no escape. It was meant to remind them of just how bad their situation was. Another thing that they would eat, number two, is the lamb's shank bone. And you'll see just a picture of a satyr plate with the shank bone that is there. And the shank bone was meant to remind them of the Passover sacrifice. To remember the Passover lamb that was slain for their protection. So that they would remember the sacrifice that had been made for them. Thirdly, they're instructed in Exodus 12 that they should eat unleavened bread. Now, the reason that it is unleavened, right, there's no leaven in it, which means the bread will not rise. Uh, they're instructed to do unleavened bread because they needed to be ready to leave at a moment's notice. Once Pharaoh had decided that he was going to let them go, they needed to go. And so the bread they were instructed to make would not have risen. It would have been, uh, it would have been uh, very flat. It would have been something that would have broken very easily. Uh, and it, the idea behind it was to remind them of the haste with which they would need to leave Egypt. Thus, there was no leaven that was used in the bread. This is a picture of the meal and the types of remembrance that would take place during this meal. As well, you'll see letter B that there are four cups that are often used. We call them the four cups of remembrance. Now, whether it was four cups that they had in the meal or four times that they would drink wine, it was all meant for a purpose to remind them of different things. And we see the things that they are used to remind them of in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. And each of these cups was a representation of this. 
think of these promises of God to his people. In Exodus 6, verse 6, it says this, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. The first drinking of wine at the Passover meal was meant to remind them of God's promise that he would take them out, that they would be removed from this place where they had been suffering, that God himself would come and act on their behalf. It was meant to give them hope and to remind them of the hope that they had in God. Secondly, a second time that they would drink the wine or take this second cup was a reminder of the continuation of verse 6 where it says, I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians, but also I will deliver you from your slavery to them. In other words, the second cup that is drinking during the Passover is meant to remind them that God was going to set them free from their oppression that that was his intended and stated purpose, that he would set them free from the yoke of slavery, that they themselves would experience true and full freedom in their relationship with God. Thirdly, they would drink a third cup or a third time drink the wine. And the passage continues and says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. The third cup, the redeeming cup, Reminding the people that God said, I will redeem you. That I will be the one that literally will purchase you, to take you, and as he drinks the fourth cup, to make you my own. He says in verse 7, I will take you to be my people. I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. The fourth cup, a reminder that God would take his people as his own. The beautiful promises that they would remember, that would hopefully lead them to action, that God had said and followed through in the terms of Egypt, that I will take you out, I will set you free, I will redeem you, and I will take you as my own. As we think about the significance of the different elements that they would experience in the Passover meal, the things that they would be remembering, it gives us an even deeper appreciation and understanding not only of the Passover meal, but it gives us a deeper appreciation for the Lord's Supper that on this night, as they celebrated this meal together, this time of remembrance, where Jesus would institute what we call a new Passover, the Lord's Supper that would beg not only the disciples, but every follower of Jesus Christ for all time to pause and to remember what God has done for you. It tells us in Mark chapter 14, verses 22 through 25, this, that as Jesus and his disciples were eating the Passover meal, he took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Can you already begin to see the significance of what Jesus is doing in this moment with his disciples? as they are focused on the Passover 
from the Old Testament of remembering how God delivered them from the hand of the Egyptians to bring them into a new relationship in a new land where they could worship God in freedom. He is beginning to help his disciples to see that that was merely a forerunner that would forebode of the future salvation, not only of God's people, but of the entire world. The passage tells us this, that Jesus, well, as we look at it, it says that as they were eating, he took bread. This should give us some sort of indication that they were eating the main meal of the Passover Seder. They had already drank the first two cups. They had already talked about how God would take them out and set them free. But as they were eating, they would have been eating things like the the, uh, bitter herbs, taking of the matzah, the unleavened bread, eating these things. And it was a time where they were supposed to be remembering the bitterness and tears of their slavery and their need for a savior while they were in Egypt. But Jesus is beginning to change its meaning in an even significant deeper way for us as well. That our slavery is not to human captors, but our slavery is to sin. And that slavery to sin is something that entangles every single person that walks this planet and separates us from God. And as we live in sin separated from God, we are in desperate need of a savior. Do you recognize that what is taking place here is that in order to appreciate what God has done for us, there is actually a need for us to grieve our slavery? How often do we grieve the slavery of our sin? How often do we actually run headlong right back into it? You see, within this, I believe that there's an essential importance for us to grasp and understand that we must be a people who take time to grieve the slavery that we have been in in sin, to remember its bitterness, to remember the pain that has come with it so that we never forget the precious gift that has been given to us. Because letter B, as they ate the Passover meal together, it tells us that Jesus took bread And it says here that when he took bread, he said, take, this is my body. But those words that he was speaking meant, remember this, that I give you my whole being, all of who I am. You see, the lamb was a reminder of how God had passed over their houses and saved his people in Egypt from the angel of death. And that was the focus of that moment. But now Jesus is going to change the focus by taking the bread and giving it new meaning. When he says, this is my body, he does not use the Greek word sarks for flesh. In other words, it's not about this is my physical body, but he uses the word soma. This is my whole being. I am giving you all of myself. I am giving you my very life in order to be the sacrifice that will save you. I'm giving all that I am. And then letter C, following the meal, it says that they also took the cup, which at this point in the Passover Seder would have been the third cup, which has always been known as the third cup of what? Redemption. 
the cup of redemption. And the third cup's new significance is striking. As Jesus said, remember, my blood has paid the price for your sin. I will pour it out. It will be shed for you to cover over your sin in the way that the blood of the lamb in Egypt covered your doorpost that the death angel would go over. I will give my life. I will be the lamb of God, the pure lamb of God who will give his life so that if you will put your faith and trust in me, your sin will be forgiven and you will be restored to a right relationship with God where you will live and reign with him forever as his child. What an incredible gift that is given, that we are not bound to our sin and separation from God, but because God sent his son into the world to be the pure spotless lamb that would pay the price for our sin, we can reign with him forever and be restored in our relationship with him. And what does the passage tell us, letter D, that as he did this, all of them drank from the cup, all of them. A reminder to us of the depth of God's grace. Would you think about this with me? Who drank from the cup? All of them. It was a group of men sitting around on the ground, a large table, who when Jesus passes this cup, they are pledging their undying allegiance to Christ. And what would happen next? The meal ends, and they would head out of Jerusalem through the Kidron Valley up to the Mount of Olives and into a garden where Jesus asked them to pray with him in his final hours before his death. And what would they do? Fall asleep. And when the soldiers came, they would desert him when people asked if they were with Jesus, what would they say? Not a chance. Have no idea who this guy is. Who is it that drank from the cup? What we begin to see is that the Last Supper was attended by a group of traitors and cowards who wouldn't stand up for their closest friend and rabbi. And yet, this is where the beauty of this Passover meal and the Lord's Supper is found is this. The table of the Lord's Supper is not a table of merit. It is a table of God's grace that sinners, traitors, cowards, you name it, are welcome to come and to experience overwhelming nature of God's love and his grace for us. The Lord's Supper, when we celebrate communion together, what we are celebrating is a reminder of the new Passover. It's not just that Jesus died on a cross or that he rose from the grave, but it is a reminder of what he has done to purchase our salvation, to invite us into the family of God, And it is meant to show us his faithfulness, but then to lead to action so that we, as we learn for ourselves and teach future generations, that we wouldn't just be remembering events, 
but that we'd be remembering events that radically change and transform our hearts and lives for generations to come. In a few moments together, we're going to take communion. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper where we are called to remember in such a way that it leads to an action and a transformation of our hearts and lives. And I want to invite you today as we sing this song of worship together to use this time to reflect on all that Christ has done for us. But can I encourage you as we sing, take time to remember the bitterness of your slavery to sin. The pain that is associated with it and how it separates you from God. Confess your sin to the Lord, recognizing that he is not looking for your merit as you approach this table, but his desire is to pour out his grace so that your life will be transformed. And let's worship him together. Let's sing.
they were eating the Passover meal together during the meal portion that Jesus took bread and after blessing it he broke it and he gave it to them and said take this is my body I am giving all of me for all of you Let's take in remembrance together. It also says that he took a cup, a third cup of redemption. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. Cowards, traitors, sinners, just like us. That they would experience the depth of his love. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, which is poured out for you. Let's take together and Thank you, Lord, for the institution of the Lord's Supper that we read about in our text this morning. A time for us as your church to continually remember the depth of your love and your grace for us. We started this morning, Lord, by talking about stories of grace that we love because of how they fill their hearts. It's something we don't see a lot of in our world today. But Father, you have given us in your word the perfect picture of grace. That a people who are completely undeserving are given a completely unexpected gift. That while we have sinned against you, 
that oftentimes when we have turned our back on you and ignored you and pushed you out of our life, you still sent your son Jesus into this world to be the one pure spotless lamb who would give his life and whose blood would cover over all of our sin so that if we would put our faith and trust in you, that we would be restored in a right relationship with you and live and reign with you forever. Thank you, God, for that gift of grace. Thank you, God, for the way that you have loved us. And my prayer this morning, God, is that that gift that you have given to us, and even as we celebrate this Lord's Supper together, that it would be a time of not just remembering your death resurrection and the events surrounding it, but that we would remember the lessons that are taught and learned and that it would lead to action in our lives. And that as you instructed your people all throughout the word, that God, not only would it change them, but Lord, teach us to teach the generations that come behind us, our children and our children's children, the truth of who you are and what you have done, that we would have a long lineage of people that are serving and loving you, our Lord. And so, God, we surrender our hearts and our lives to you. And we pray, God, that you would be glorified as we seek to give all of we are because of how faithful you have been to us. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, church family, uh, before we go this morning, we want to close our service just a little bit different. First thing is, uh, I'll just remind you that our prayer team is here this morning. And if there are any prayer needs that you have, uh, Ed McKinney is up here in the front, would love to pray with you at the close of the service. You can also go out the back doors and down the back hallway to our prayer room. Uh, as always, but we would love that opportunity to minister to you. But as we close today, we are going to be bringing a close to a chapter of a very special person in our church, which is Kendra Sankovich and her role uh, here at Westgate. And so I want to invite Adam and Kendra to the stage. Would you welcome them as they come? Well, Kendra has been faithfully... uh, serving us as our spiritual growth director. She has been loving us and teaching us and caring for us. Um, Some main responsibilities are our classes, our Bible studies, our communities, and really just providing uh, a a person of integrity who loves God's word and has faithfully sought to love each and every one of us. So um, Kendra, we thank you. Um, this is her, her last Sunday serving in that capacity here. Um, we have a couple gifts for you. First off, this is from our Threads of Love community. They have uh, given you a quilt, something you can take with you, and may it be a reminder of like God's warmth and comfort and love and also our, uh, our support and care for you as well. Um, also want to give you opportunities to share with us uh, kind of what God's been leading you into next. First, I want to thank you all. Many of you have come to me and said how much you have been praying for me, and I appreciate that so much. I feel your prayers. I've had so much peace during this season um, that God has placed in my heart. So thank you so much for praying for me and my family. Uh, Many of you have also been curious and asking, do you know where your next steps are going to be yet? So I'll give you a sneak peek. It's not 100% official yet, but it looks like that I'm going to be ministering at a newer alliance church called Lead Community Church. 
where they need someone to come and help with preaching and discipling the new believers that are um, being baptized and growing as more people come to know Christ there. So I'm in talks with them about being their associate pastor there at Lead Community Church in Toledo. Um, it's a smaller church, a new church, a growing church, and because of that, we're going to um, do what I'm calling dual citizenship for our kids, where they'll be here a lot still, being able to be with their their kids that they go to school with and be involved in the kids' ministry that they have here as well. So we won't be strangers. Uh, you'll see my family around a little bit more too. Because it is a smaller, newer church, it's going to require me also having a job on top of the ministry there, uh, which I've never done before. I've only done full-time ministry, so I'm not quite sure how this works. And so I would really ask for your help with networking. If you know of a place that is looking to hire a leader, someone who you think I might be a good fit for, I don't exactly know what I'm a good fit for outside of ministry. So if you have some advice, I'd love to have some. Um, and I, my email address will still be active for a while if you want to shoot me emails, but I'd really appreciate that, church family. I love you, and it truly has been a joy and an honor to serve you. Well, thank you, Kendra. <laughs> and, and Kendra has always served as a person with great integrity. Uh, a woman who has loved the word of God and always points to the truth that we find in God's word. And these are just some of my words, but we also have some of uh, their words as well. Um, I'd like to share that with you. Kendra, you have helped me in so many ways in my spiritual journey. When I came to you four years ago, I didn't even know what I needed or where to go for help. You took the time to listen, gave me encouragement, and found me a great match for a mentor. Kendra, thank you. Thank you for being our first friendly face and somebody to, that knew us when we first came to Westgate. I'm so glad you've been um, a Christian woman role model in my life for so many years, and we're going to miss you so much at Westgate, but we know that God's plan for your life is going to be so amazing, and we're praying for you and your family. Um, thank you so much, Kendra. She's a real sweetheart. Um, she really did have a, a positive impact on my life. Um, uh, she believed in me, she believed in my healing, and she believed in the power of God working through me, and um, that just meant everything to me. Um, Kendra, we just wanted to say thank you for being so welcoming. We really enjoyed uh, getting to meet you and um, our time in uh, the membership class with you in particular just really gave us so much peace about um, becoming part of Westgate. So we just want to say thank you. We'll miss you. And as I've told you before, I'm also so grateful for your sharing once uh, with us in a class that we can be educated beyond our obedience. And I've been so careful to be sure I pass that along to other women as I teach Bible studies. And I thank you for that. And just praying God's best for you and the family as you take this next step in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Kendra, we want to say thank you for being you. Thank you for all the support. And thank you for being a difference maker in the lives of our members of Community One. Thank you, Kendra. 
Thank you, Kendra, very much for your leadership and for your willingness to step up and uh, support us as a community. It's been very much appreciated and we've been blessed by that. We have been, and we can say collectively, thank you for being you. We really appreciate you more than you know. God bless. God bless. Prayers. Thank, thank you, Kendra. God bless you, keep you wherever you go. So that's just a, a few a few voices. Certainly want to invite you. We are going to have uh, out in the main lobby, Kendra will be there. We have a table set up uh, that you can add some notes of encouragement, or notes of appreciation. You can also say those things to her as well, as well as some of her favorite food snacks. So if you didn't get enough at the Hangout and Connect, come check out some of her favorite food snacks uh, as well. And so we just want to pray for you um, as, as we close. So if you would just reach out a hand. Of, we're just going to uh, bless Kendra with our, our, our support, our prayers. Um, Lord Jesus, we, we pray for our friend. God, I pray for my friend here and the work that uh, you have uh, done through her here. Uh, the lives that you have uh, used her to touch, to move, to challenge, to encourage, to speak truth into to encourage um, in in our walks of faith and God may may these prayers God as we continue to pray for them and the Sankovich family as as they go into uh, into a new steps into new places that require uh, even greater trust and greater greater um, uh, yeah just trusting your hand and your provision um, even what she shared this uh, uh, tent making as what she's kind of have to go into. Um, Lord, give her uh, wisdom, um, provide something as you have uh, provided this next position already. And uh, we thank you. We thank you for these years uh, with her. We thank you for how you've made her and how you've gifted her. Um, may you continue to do so. Um, we praise you and ask all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Again, thank you for worshiping with us this morning, and we'll see you all next week.